Well, hello. Another edition of the Anything But Quiet Time podcast with Rochelle and myself, Carter. We have been very open about this. How that we are not experts. We are not experts. On anything. <laughs> uh, and so it's very nice whenever we get somebody to come in on the podcast and join us and, and share something that, honestly, I think Mike Winger has a lot of expertise in. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's a pastor. He's been a worship pastor. I believe worked in, in youth ministry, too. So he's uh, he's walked the gauntlet here and there. But it's um, really fun to walk this with him now and pretend like we know what we're doing. Yeah. Be, be gentle, Mike. Be gentle. <laughs> Well, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Hope I can be helpful. Your podcast is the Bible Thinker Podcast. Where you just break down scripture and um, you have just, I mean, honestly, you have a, a love for understanding the the truth and the context and the meaning um, of, of what the Bible says. Oh, yeah. I think that, you know, you study it enough and it becomes very exciting and you study it too little and you're bored with it. So hopefully I can bring people into that excitement. You know, recently my brother introduced me to something called the Bible Project. And I'm sure you've heard of this or at least are a bit familiar. The other day I pulled up a video to show my children where the guy just breaks down. Here, if you're interested in reading this book so you don't get overwhelmed in the moment, here is the breakdown of what it looks like. And he does it with this cartoon drawing. And it really, my my youngest, he's 11, he's like, oh, I'm going to watch all of these right. videos. Yeah. <laughs> they have some very interesting content. And, and I think it's really accessible for people, yeah. It's accessible, but it, it does what you're you're suggesting is like it... It takes you one step further into um, meaning and into growth. And I think it can be intimidating when you hear maybe somebody from the pulpit who knows a little bit more than you do. Sure. And the moment that someone says, did you know that this is what this means? Oh, my word. And then it, it does become exciting. It's like you've unlocked oh, yeah. a treasure. I, 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 that's the experience I want to hopefully bring people to a thousand times, you know, as, as you go in and you dig and sometimes, you know, People will study a lot, but then they won't bring out of that study the kind of information and content that's really needful for people. And so they'll just drown you in minutia. And so hopefully we're keeping things um, important, thoughtful, and relevant all at the same time, just causing the scripture to you know, become enlightened for everybody. Well, today we want to talk about defending the faith, being firm in the faith, how, how we know what we believe, how we know it's true. Um, and so just, you know, how, first of all, how can we know? I know we, we, there's, there's so much back and forth of the Bible is, it proves history, but other people would say otherwise. What are some points that you go to on knowing that the Bible's uh, for real? Uh, as far as scripture, I think one of the most amazing things to me would be fulfilled prophecy. And one thing people forget about the Bible is that it's not one book. I mean, we talk about it like it's one book. We call it the Bible, which means the book, <laughs> but it's actually 66 different books or different documents, and they weren't written by the same author or or at the same time. You know, we have the Old Testament, the New Testament. The book itself spans thousands of years, written on multiple continents. And here's what's exciting. We have in places in the Old Testament, uh, even in the New Testament, we have places where there are predictions about events. And then we have confirmation that those events did in fact take place. So we have a, a written account that it would happen. We have the fulfillment of the thing happening. And of course, the most exciting aspect of prophecy is when you look at Jesus himself, he fulfills an awful lot of Old Testament prophecy. And that's something that I find uh, really, we we underserve the church in talking about this fulfilled prophecy. So I've, I've got a bunch of you know content online dealing with it. And I think it's amazing. Yeah, some of the figures on that, I think we've tried to uncover those a little bit at Christmas time. We had fun talking about uh, the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in just his birth, but 
I, and correct me, maybe you know them off the top of your noggin, especially if you're well-schooled in it, is that how many zeros come behind the figure of Jesus? Like, it's it's already so hard for any one person to fulfill, let's say, a couple of prophecies. But for him to have fulfilled as many as he did, it's like a ch- one chance in a bajillion, which is not a real number, but just like the zeros are <laughs> infinite, it feels like. Yeah, there was a, a an actual study done or a paper written on the topic, and they calculated. And I can't remember the exact number, but it was, it was uh, just let's just say it was more zeros than the human mind is generally able to deal with, as far as a one and whatever number. Um, but so it's not only the number that's the number of prophecies, but it's also the nature of the prophecies. Like Psalm twenty two, for instance, it gives us this suffering, dying, and then and then vindicated you know, son of David, this, this one who's coming, who ultimately will be like Jesus, right? He dies for our sins. But then what's amazing is what happens after that. And so Psalm 22 predicts that this will cause the Gentiles, the non-Jews to turn to the God of Israel and to worship him. And that this will impact people's lives after they've, after they've died. And this may not seem that significant to someone who's kind of grown up with Christianity, but when you realize the Psalm was written, we're talking a thousand years before Jesus came and and what Jew, what what Jew is there in the world who has caused Gentiles around the planet to worship the God of Israel? I mean, that's a pretty big ask to say, here's a prophecy about changing the whole world. And Jesus has actually done that. You have said before that uh, you research historians because you yourself are not one. Um, and what I find online, the the vexing thing when I, of course, you shouldn't read the comments on any YouTube or news channel because it, the comment section is is the scum of humanity. It's just, it's the worst things that happen on comments. I mean, honestly, Yahoo.com recently has uh-huh. taken that out. Oh, yeah, because they banned comments. Yeah. I've seen it. Oh. Getting anything positive here. Let's just take this out. But you see the arguments that happen, especially with atheists online, um, and and it, it's a frustrating thing how there are so many that say they have the right research, and it's like no, 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 no. Um, for example, let's say I bring up Lee Strobel, and Lee Strobel has this and this and this. Yeah, well, that's not what this guy I heard says, and and I've never heard of your guy, and you've never heard of my guy. So how do you go about like truly being able to present the facts in a conversation like that? Yeah, so the, my process personally, you know, I, I, before I ever come in front of a camera or produce a video or a, a podcast, I'm I'm going to go and spend an awful lot of time in private personally. And so I like to try to gather both guys. And so I want to gather the pros and the cons. I want to hear the arguments for the arguments against. And in the process of doing that, sometimes I will hear a Christian presenting an argument and I will decide, I don't think that's an argument I'm going to share. I don't think that's as solid as they think it is. And so hopefully I can come and bring things that I think are pretty solid that I can defend well. And I've already heard the rebuttals to them. So one of the goals of my videos is that the objections are already answered in the video and in the content. So the person who's been exposed to say the um, unbelieving, you know, scholar will be able to watch this content and say, Oh, his objections are actually answered here already. That's already been dealt with. And so that at least that's, that's my hope. It, it takes a lot of work, but the end product I think is a lot more usable that way. Why did you start to do this in the first place? Do you have a story of like unbelief and you were like, you know, you were without a shadow of a doubt convicted or was this something you grew up in or yeah so actually what happened with me was yeah initially digging into you know what we call apologetics or you know defending how do we know this thing is true this whole christian thing this jesus thing 
Um, getting into that was a very much a personal thing and a very private thing. Uh, I wanted to confirm that that this was there was evidence to support my Christian beliefs. And so I dug and dug and dug. And I, originally I asked other people around me, even even spiritual leaders, pastors, those who I, I, I respected and still respect and love. And it was weird that they had like no answers for the kind of questions I was asking. So I actually just stopped asking them. And I just got very private about it all. And I just started researching and studying. And I ended up finding that there was a wealth, a wealth of evidential support for Christianity that's just not really largely known within the church or in the world. And so this strengthened and bolstered my own faith. And then after having gone through all that, I slowly found that other people would come to me with their questions and they had the same experience as me. They had some some doubts, some questions. They asked the people around them. No one had answers. And then when they ran into me, they were like, thank you. Someone else is actually answering this. Someone's thinking about this. This is this is so helpful. So I started to like incorporate that content in my regular ministry. I did it in youth ministry. I did it in my teaching. And eventually I started sharing it online. And now I'm just trying to always refine it, make it stronger, make it better, and continue to... Um, Present that content, make it accessible for those who are looking. There's a couple of things that I really like about you on the on the Bible Thinker podcast. Uh, one is if you don't have enough research to say, because you'll do Q and A's, and if you don't have enough research to to really say it, you'll you'll give a a somewhat of an answer um, for a hard question like losing your salvation or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, but then you'll be like, but I, that's not one that I really have a strong argument for. I need to do more research. Um, is I find that to be something that we don't do in interpersonally because we may not be on on a podcast like you or on a on a debate podium, but with a conversation with a coworker, I find that it's a it's a startling thing for us to to say I don't know to a question. Let yeah, me go find out. But it's it's not a cop out. It's refreshing. It's I think I would imagine in in the many conversations that you've had that that is going to be the reaction from someone. They will look baffled even taken aback if you go, you know what? I don't 100% know, but can I get back to you on it? And I think there's always going to be a respect for somebody humble enough to say, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, I actually just do it because I feel like I don't have a choice because, <laughs> because I just don't know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just being honest. Um, and you know, when it, when it comes to these doing Q and A's and, and, you know, having people bring their burning questions to you. And of course, inevitably, people think you know more than you do. And they're going to think that I, I have more answers and I have a full understanding than I even do, even though I try very hard to have as rounded and thoughtful of answers as possible. Of course, there's things where I go, I'm not sure on that yet. And so I'm just trying to be honest, to to, to be frank with you. And, uh, and I've actually was surprised because I've had other leaders suggest to me, Mike, you don't do that. You, you don't say, I don't know. You, you need to have an answer and need to have it f- firmly. It's, it's about the authority of your position or something. And when, when I started saying, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, um, the, the feedback was incredibly positive. I was actually a little surprised by how positive it was. I'm very surprised that church leaders, we do that. We, we don't sometimes try to look for subtext, uh, even in the book of Acts, when they're coming up with the church in the first place and figuring this out. This out. Nothing was handed to them on a golden scroll. You know, they're they're figuring, all right, how are we going to do this? We're going to put these people, all, we're all going to be together? Okay, okay, we're all going to take our money. We're all going to help each other out. This seems good. We're happy to do it. And then they start working out the kinks and figuring out, well, do we let them in here? What about the Jewish people who are abiding by that law? But, you know, all of those things, they didn't have all the answers right up front. It was a lot of, let's. Mm. let's gather and commune and figure it out first. 
I don't know why there's ever this need. Because we know the truth and it has set us free, perhaps it makes us look weak or something that a leader would suggest. Go ahead and, and try to find an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> I think it's beautiful because the picture you just you just drew from Acts, right, when they're they're dealing with the Gentiles, are, they're, are they really part of this? They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to become Jewish. And what's cool is that you see that the gospel is something that, like, happened to the church. And then the church is like, they're going... So what is this thing that's happening to, that God is doing? Let's discover it. We're not we're not deciding. We're discovering. And when you're in that perspective of of I'm not th- the one telling everybody uh, here's the truth I've chosen, <laughs> but rather I am I'm an observer of the of the things that God has revealed. It makes me more humble, and I'm able to say I don't know the answer to that question, but um, but I know it's out there, and you know I'll continue searching, and hope hopefully I can find it. I think that an there's another benefit too, which is that when I say that I don't know an answer to something, I have just prevented myself from providing a bad answer that will backfire in the long run. And so that alone is worth the cost of looking like you're, you're uninformed, (laughs) just, just not setting someone up to hear a, a, a poor answer that later on bites them in the rear end because they, they think, Oh, I've just disproved this Christian teaching because of someone else's bad answer. And the rest of it is just hot air from you. Even if it is truth, they're not going to, you've already, you've already lost yeah, with the true. conversation. I really like that. I'm an observer of the gospel. That's super good. You, this goes into a composure and you have a, a lot of composure and compassion too. When you talk about um, other lifestyles or other belief systems, uh, I know, I know a lot of us can get defensive about that, especially when it ties into politics and whatnot. Uh, but when, when you kind of address people who, I think there, apparently there's a lot of atheists that listen to you and, and other people, other religions, you say, when I tell you this, I'm not trying to condemn you. I just feel that the most loving thing to do is provide you the truth. Uh, what have you found to be the best strategy in, in having that loving attitude when you can get into a contentious, contentious debate pretty easy? Um, yeah, I think that things can get nasty so fast. I think religious conversations or really any conversation that is about important issues, it just it's like walking through a, a field of landmines. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes things blow up and it wasn't your fault, but other times it, it's nasty. And our social media culture, our, our super low standard for comments online versus in person, it just makes it even worse. And so I, I think here's like a few things that that I think of. First off, um, pay attention to to your feelings. That's that's something I've learned. I don't want my feelings to guide me. I'm not like being like Yoda, like listen to your feelings here. But rather, there's scripture that warns us that my own heart can be be something that leads me astray. And so when it, the scripture encourages me on dealing with somebody who's in folly of some kind, say they're say they're believing false false things about God, important issues that I, that I don't want to become a fool myself in how I interact with them. So I want to keep watch on myself and examine my own heart. Basically, if I'm upset, then I need to pause, come back to this later, really just wait. Like I can't tell you how many times I was going to type a comment where I just stopped and deleted it because I was just irritated and I realized that I'm not going to represent truth very well if I'm irritated and so um, sometimes strong words are needed, but me being in the flesh, me being controlled by my irritation, that's never needed. I, I, I never want to be that way. And so the other thing is, I would just say to be aware of the, the individual, the, the person you're talking to and how they hear you. Because we can be like white noise. Um, 
I think if it's a one-on-one conversation, this, this starts with asking lots of questions. If someone's like, well, why should I believe, you know, the Bible's full of contradictions rather than, you know, answering them right away. How about you say like, okay, well tell me a little bit about what you believe. So why do you think that? And don't push back. Just listen. Just listen. You know, when it comes to this, if I have lots of time, I'll do, I'll spend like an hour with a person just asking questions before I push, push back at all. I actually have a family member who I'm afraid that I, I might mimic. I don't know. I'm going to have to hold up a mirror to my face. But whenever he knows that he's got a, an angle or the, the handle on the conversation, like he's right and, and you're wrong, he gets this look on his face. He's very quiet, very calm while he listens to you, but he gets this look of, I know what I know, you know, the look that tells me I'm an idiot. <laughs> Do you ever have problem with your facial expressions when you're just listening? Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I so here's my thought is I, I wear I wear everything on my face anyway. So I guess what I would have to do really is I have to work on my own compassion towards that person. And I, I need to be praying at that exact moment. Lord, help me to love this person. Help me to know that, um, you know, by the, but by the grace of God, I would be in the same situation. Help me to be someone who's there to, to search and rescue, not search and destroy this person. <laughs> they're not my, they're not my enemy. They're the one I'm trying to help. And I pray that I could listen to them and hear, and if I'm thinking about these things and even praying them internally to the Lord, then I think that my facial expressions will naturally reflect that kind of compassion. But if I'm secretly upset, um, or, or, I have animosity towards the person I'm talking with. My facial expressions are just revealing a deeper issue in my own heart. And so I guess I'd want to work on that issue first. All of us who are passionate about what we believe, you know, we're all, we follow Jesus. We love him. We know him to be the truth because of our own personal experience. And we wear it on our sleeve, like you said. And so when somebody says something, it irks us. And I, I do. I want to keep the conversation table open, but Carter knows me quite well. But you well. want to prove him wrong. <laughs> but I'm going to keep, you know, because Mike, he told me to shut it. No, I'm going to not say anything. But I, I think that's so true. If I'm praying in the moment and God is softening my heart, he's going to soften those face lines. <laughs> well, that may be a, a big go back to, I don't know the answer. Uh, no, I may need a moment to get away from you. Oh, gosh. You brought up contradictions and you know, I, I I think what I love, you really break it down um, on your podcast. And so is there a, a couple of um, common contradictions that you hear that maybe even the church believes? I know a lot of times there's those nice sayings of, uh, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle and all these things that we kind of just have become sayings and we don't really think about the context of the scripture. Uh, what do you hear often that people try to use against the Bible? Oh gosh, I mean that is such a big and broad category and and it kind of differs because what you find is if you're speaking to like a Muslim there's certain things that they you know most or at least a lot of Muslims have in their heads in their minds about the Bible, about Christianity, you know they're going to they're going to want to talk about the Trinity and they think that the Trinity is say three gods in one god and that's irrational and you have to explain well that's not even what the doctrine is like in fact most people who um, talk about the Trinity, don't actually talk about the Trinity. They talk about something else like what's called modalism, which is a, a an actual ancient uh, heretical view. And so they're arguing against things that we don't actually hold as Christians. Um, so, you know, if you're talking to uh, just say, say someone who's kind of a more secularized, but maybe they're not super thoughtful about it, then they basically, they're, they're more going to come against the Bible through like moral concerns. I th- at least that's in my experience. And so they, they think like, oh, well, the Bible supports, they say, slavery or something like that. And th- they don't realize that if you even took the biblical teaching, under, we're not under the Old Testament, but if, if you did take the Old Testament law and applied it to, say, 
um, early American slavery, it would end it, it would have ended in 24 hours. Like it's people don't realize actually what the laws actually say, because mostly they're exposed to really surface level objections. So for the most part, objections need to just be thought about a little bit more deeply and listened to a little more carefully. And then we can first ask the question, is this even something Christianity teaches? And then we can respond to the objection because probably more often than not, objections are based on misrepresentations of biblical teachings. Yeah. Now you might be dealing with Christians as well, like you're mentioning, who just have things like they say, like God will never give you more than you can handle. And I think that if you live long enough, you find that that is not a very sufficient phrase for your life. <laughs> um, and you're not really sure what scripture it might come from. And it actually, it comes from 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, And the actual teaching there is that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. So it's not that you won't have more than you can handle. It's that whatever crazy difficulties you experience, it won't force you to sin. There'll be a way to still love God in that circumstance. That's actually the teaching there. You you may feel utterly overwhelmed. Like Paul says, he was struck down, but not destroyed. He was perplexed, but not in despair. That that there, there was overwhelming circumstances. Rochelle and I have had this conversation uh, a, a couple of times of, uh, there's another popular one, your body is your temple. And <laughs> you you hear it, when it comes to working out and you hear it at the new year and you hear, you know, certainly I don't think God wants us to be obese or smoke or anything like that. It makes no sense right now that I just laughed on this podcast. So can I just explain yeah, myself please, for a please, moment? Yeah. Every time I bring up this message because I have regarded it as truth, regardless of circumstance, because it's just it's a fact. My body is his temple. He uh-huh. lives in me. Carter's like. But the context of the verse. <laughs> the stickler. The I'm the stickler, Mike. Like, but if truth is truth, I can apply it to whatever context apply it applies to in the moment. And and so we go back and forth. Well, it's just. It's, and it's sexual immorality is, is the part where, yes. you know, that's what it's talking about. So how do you, where do, where do you rein in on this? Um, it, can we only use that for what that's talking about? Or is, you know, with that verse, is that okay to apply it to, to working out? Because we shouldn't live unhealthy and, and gluttony in that sense. I was just going to say, Carter, do you want the excuse for 20 cupcakes in one setting? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, um, <clears throat> boy, this, this could be like a, its own video, I suppose. But the, so let me say on one side, Carter, what you're suggesting, right? That, that the context of your, you are the, you know, the temple of the Holy spirit, that this is about sexual immorality in first Corinthians. Um, it is talking about, you know, living holiness, living out a godly life and it and in that passage it has nothing to do with exercise or something like that but then in another passage also first corinthians chapter 6 i believe where he he also deals with food and drink and he's and he's he basically says yeah okay you know food and drink are healthy and good but ultimately the body belongs to god right that i belong to god but the context here is not sort of our more common american and first world country perspective of how fit do I appear to other people around me, which is more centered around vanity, actually, and can become pretty unhealthy uh, thing. Instead, the context is is uh, avoiding excesses that would be a moral compromise. So it's not so much like how fit do I look, but rather, am I in bondage to this food or drink or is, is God still the Lord of my life? Am I allowing something to cause me to morally compromise? And that puts it in the same context as the sexual immorality issue. So basically I'm saying the temple thing is about moral issues and not about physical fitness directly. Although I will add, uh, you know, in, in the pastoral epistles, 
Paul says that uh, bodily exercise is of some value. Like there's a positive value in it and we shouldn't deride that. We just should see its value in how it how it makes us healthier and stronger so that we could serve God and love others more and not how it makes us look better so that we could feel better about ourselves. And that might feed a negative thing in our hearts. I just want to tell my spiritual little brother here. I they were told both you right. So. They were I both told right. you so. I, <laughs> I said think, all that. I think what irks me, Mike, is when, because she sees that, I think she's totally right, but it irks me when somebody puts it on fitness gear or something. <laughs> I think that's what yeah, kind yeah. of irks me, you know, because it's not what it's about in, in that vanity sense at all. Well, so, and Mike yeah. said it a lot nicer than I ever have. <laughs> that's very true. Uh, <laughs> but I, can I go back for just a moment? Uh, the, the point that you made in regards to our faith being um, something we could certainly delve into and, and help from the surface level for uh, for other faiths, uh, when people want to sit maybe and have fellowship with us. And I'd like to ask you questions about what what it is that you believe, not even necessarily people who are seeking Christ who don't have an affinity for a, a certain religion or whatever. So if it's someone who is Muslim and they're coming to you and they're kind of, you know, they're obviously, I've, I've, we, we obviously have faith leaders who have committed their life to Christ, even though they were strong Muslim uh, from a strong Muslim background. And um, they had a warpath situation because they knew this is how you tell people in regards to why your faith is wrong and my faith is right. There, there was definitely a script even from one gentleman I understood, not that it was written out for him per se, but he knew what to share and what to say when that girl turned around in, in class and said, hey, do you know Jesus? And then he was like, do you? And mm, uh, wow, yeah. yeah. And then he just started listing all these things and she was taken aback because she. She realized maybe this guy knows more about my savior than I do. And she was intimidated by that conversation. So I I know that in talking with somebody who might be willing to listen, um, they might throw it right back at us and say, you are taking my faith now at surface level and out of context. And let me tell you what this passage actually means. Because if if that's how many Christians are reading the Bible, is that not how we are also maybe perceived to have reading the Quran. Yes, this is so good that what you're talking about now. So a, a few things that I would encourage people with is one, these kinds of conversations do actually cause us to go deeper, right? It causes you to stop and get out of your box and go, oh boy, do I really understand what I'm talking about here? And But don't give up at that point. Like say if it's on Islam, there's a great book by Nabil Qureshi called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And he was a very intelligent man, thoughtful Muslim who sought to prove Islam was true um, against Christianity, ended up becoming a Christian and uh, an evangelist. And basically what you're going to find is you, you are treading ground, no matter what the question is, you're treading ground that somebody else has already tread probably fairly well. And sometimes it's just about digging and finding those resources, like say Nabil Qureshi's book. And he not only uh, deals with the differences and why Christianity would be true over and against, say, uh, the teachings of Muhammad, but he deals with it from the perspective of a Muslim. And so as you read his words, you're preparing yourself for dealing with someone from that perspective. But also I'd recommend one thing. In those conversations, stick to one topic. It's so bad when those conversations go from, you know, you, in an hour you talk about 50 different topics and you remember almost none of them. And you get no no progress on any of them either. So I, I like to say maybe you have a shorter conversation that sticks to one issue and the person says, here's my big complaint, it's the Trinity. And then you go, well, let me understand your complaints. 
And you just, again, you start with questions. You get it all in there and then you go, hmm, let me process this. Maybe I'll come back later with, but with you know, thoughts and answers. And by staying focused, you can, you know, it's like the difference between a, a rake and a pickaxe, uh, in my opinion. So a, a rake just on the, it hits the surface of the ground and covers a wide area, but it doesn't penetrate very deeply. Whereas a pickaxe, because it's got one single point and all the pressure is being dug into one thing, it goes deep into the ground. And when you're trying to penetrate into the thinking and the mind of others who are who are positioned against the gospel of Christ, against Christianity, sometimes it's better to go deep on one issue than it is to try to cover every random thing. That's a that's a great analogy. Um, we want to respect your time, so we'll, we'll get you one more question if you have uh, if you have more time. That is um, that we live in a day and age where feelings run everything. If you feel this way, it's fact, and. I think that's infiltrated the church to some degree that if I feel this way, God must want me to have it. It must be my thing. So how do we... Because how could a good God not want me to have ex- a good feeling? Exactly. Yeah. A good feeling or a good, you know, financial thing. It, this must be it. How do we know? How can we fight that to know what truly what God is doing in our lives and where it matches up and, and his, well, I've heard you say before, you know, some people are, you know, name it and claim it. And Hey, maybe God's will is suffering for your life right now. Um, so how do we navigate that? Because God does love us, but where do you, where do you find yourself finding truth in that? Yeah, I, I think this is a, this is a huge issue. Um, one of the things that we should do is just go to scripture and let the New Testament in particular, because the New Testament is full of what? These new covenant believers, they're, they're uh, post the cross, the resurrection. They're in the same experience of Christianity that we're in today. And when we look at them, we can ask, are they doing a name it and claim it thing? Are they living this sort of their best life now, so to speak? And actually, when you look at it, you go, well, yes and no. Um, the, the yes part is that they're fulfilled. They're, they're rejoicing. They're fully content in their lives. But the no part is it's not because of financial or physical well-being. And that's the part that just blows me away when I, when I see the more prosperity style preaching that goes online, uh, and, and really gets a lot of press in the news as well. Uh, this kind of preaching, it's not, it's just not consistent with the Christianity that Paul, the apostle experience where he talks about how when he when he suffers when he's abased or basically in poverty and physical suffering he's learned how to be content because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him there's another common verse that's actually quoted uh in, out of context it's actually about going through suffering and doing so with the joy of the lord because you have the strength of Christ in your life and this is this is a hope that we have that is in other words, we're saying it's not like Christianity's message is doom and gloom and suffering. It's rather that our message is hope and future and future glory that is it makes any suffering in this present world nothing by comparison to that thing that is coming our way in the future. So that our great and wonderful prosperity is on its way, but it's not part of this world. It's part of the next primarily. And I, I think that that's, that's the thing. Go to the scripture, go to the New Testament and, and read it and ask, am I ready to live out the life that I see them living in the book of Acts, to live out the life that I read about Peter, who was, you know, writing Second Peter just before he was going to be killed um, and doing so with the joy of the Lord. I think that's really a great reminder because I think the book of Acts gives us more context and storytelling. And when you read the letters from Paul, it's like he's already arrived at that place 
And so when we hear the comment, well, I know what it is to be abased, and then you you don't necessarily know the story that went along with that. Like, we know he arrives at this place eventually in writing it out, but how many times does he learn the lesson mm. before he learns the lesson? And it's such a good reminder because I think we feel like we have to arrive immediately. We are a new creation in Christ, which is absolutely true. But the process of time is what takes us, the process of time in birthing a baby. Baby's in the baby's, the baby's in the tummy. It takes nine months for it to cook, you know? Yeah. So we got to give ourselves just that refresher. It's like, yes, it's instant. It's not necessarily an instantaneous. Our salvation is. But who we are in Christ and our character and growth and maturing and all of that stuff, it is a process. And and so we, we want to get the good stuff fast. The, so I think that's kind of where sometimes that prosperity message leads us. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so often it's 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 those those amazing spiritual lessons that we, we didn't know we could ever even handle. We learned them in suffering and in hardship. And we learned by going through it to uh, to trust in God, to rely on God. And it's, you know, when you have like nothing left— but your trust in the Lord, all of a sudden you you learn some spiritual things that you just you never would have learned when life was going well. We have covered a gamut of things on defending the faith, on knowing what we believe and, and why we, it's true. Did we use a rake? Uh, we used a rake. We a, didn't have uh, a pickaxe. I know, I know. <laughs> if you want to listen to Mike Winger's podcast, Bible Thinker, it is each each episode you can go down. I was back in 2016, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, pickaxe type of. <laughs> episodes where a 45 minute or hour long podcast is all about one subject and you just know the why that much more. Uh, my friend, you are gifted. God has truly blessed you with a gift and your compassion. You're following him. It just, it makes your podcast excellent. It's inspiring. Um, it really is. And so thank you. Thank you for your time, my friend. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I do appreciate it. Yeah. God bless both of you. God bless you too. The Anything But Quiet Time podcast. We will be back next week um, without the expert, unfortunately. So uh, you just hop over to Mike's podcast. That's what happens. I'll bring my pickaxe. <laughs>